0: Resonance. I'm Teresa Carmody from Elemental Journeys and I'm here with my friend.
1: I'm Ken Edwards and I am the Runewalker.
0: Yes you are. (laughs) (laughs) Today I'm very excited. The card that I pulled is very optimistic and uh, I actually referenced it at Uh, the end of our last episode. So uh, I'm excited to see how it's going to tie in with your rune this week and how it's continuing the thread that we discovered uh, last week that's kind of flowing through all of our episodes.
1: I think that's amazing that, um, I mean, I'm not surprised that you foretold the card that you were going to pull (laughs)
0: I even, it's been a week like that. I'm very excited to get into it uh, because I intentionally, because I had that image uh, at the end of our last episode, I actually waited a little bit longer to pull this card because I didn't want to be influencing it. Mm -hmm. And uh, yet I pulled it anyway. So I'm just going to reveal what I pulled uh, so I can be more specific. But I pulled the lover's card. (laughs) <laughs>
1: okay. okay, this is gonna get really juicy.
0: Oh good, I'm yep. so excited. Tell me oh, what yeah. you pulled.
1: Um I pulled Ingvaz. So um go ahead and tell us about the uh lovers card and then I will tell you about Ingva's the rune.
0: Well the lover's card is all about integration and it's a major arcana card, so it connects with uh the energy of love. And so it's very much associated with like Beltane. And many times people read it in terms of romantic partnership or love life. And although all of those ways of interpreting are absolutely true, I like to add the element of it's a personal integration. So it's that internal intra-psychic kind of work uh, where you start to really kind of Um, become aware of shadow self it's the integration of shadow parts into our wholeness Um, so it can be all of those kinds of things Um, and in relationship to uh, I think what we're doing in our podcast and that thread that we saw you know last week we were talking about integrating light and dark and what that looked like and I think I mentioned the lover's card So the fact that this is coming up to me is just like an extension, there is a connection. And um, it's a reminder that in the connection, we get to choose what kind of connection we have. And so to me, it feels like a little, you know, just uh, inspiration or validation that, um, that the web of resonance is real. It's not just the name of our podcast, but it's actually something that exists um, that we can become mindful about and as we contribute in our connections to other people to ourselves to our source to the earth to remember to um to weave a thread of love in those connections that's what builds strength
1: yeah, that's amazing i actually i had that uh card pulled for me this week.
0: you did
1: uh, yeah. And it- <laughs> In a different setting, so yeah, it's interesting that uh, that that came up. Well, let me go into Ingvaz, and then we'll dive into the complexities of the web. And um, so Ingvaz is typically uh, um, shows up as two different shapes. One is a diamond, and the other is it looks like two X's, one stacked on top of each other. So the center forms a diamond, and then there are like two legs coming off on the bottom and and Two arms on the top. Ingvaz connects to the god Ingvi uh, Frey in Norse cosmology. Um, so, Frey and his sister Freya are um, twins, and they are from the uh, the Vanir, a, a group of people that are very closely um, related to the earth and the growing seasons, and fecundity and sexuality and uh, growth and it's through um, you know he and his sister Freya that um, because they I don't know they have sex and they make it all happen again you know they they cause the flowers to bloom and the crops to grow. Um, So we're
0: back to Beltane.
1: So we're yeah yes we are.
0: Very Beltane energy yeah.
1: Absolutely. Ingva's also I mean it looks like you know it looks like a vulva in one Uh, representation looks like a a phallus in the other. It's a very sexual rune in those terms. Um, I have seen it as um, a rune of initiation, of passing through like you, almost when you're born, you know, you pass from the inside to the outside. And um, it does carry those connotations. Um, It also... Uh, I really love, uh, we have a, a friend in common, her name is Ingrid, and I love the way Ingrid puts puts it, too, in, in this next term, and it's, Ingvaz um, asks you how you value yourself um, and the power of your sexuality, what it means to be a woman or what it means to be a man, and how you uh, value and hold worth to that part of you, um, which, to me, is a huge thread that... Um, is woven through a lot of our culture these days and something that we all have to work on because um, it's been shamed uh, quite a bit.
0: Well, it's interesting that you're, you're talking about it in that way, especially with sexuality. Uh, uh, what's hitting me is that I really think that our culture is moving away from binary And uh, so it's interesting to me, I'm always asking the question, how is that reflected in the archetypes? Because I Mm. think that um, in this particular case, the way that I feel the energy move is I'm very aware of how we as human beings are starting to challenge the binary and how, because we're doing that, it is actually helping the archetype evolve.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So most of the time, you know, we think of archetypes as being such big energy that they oh, that they have some kind of influence, although the influence might be different on different people, that, you know, it's an overarching energy that a lot of people can tap into and have a personal experience. Yeah. I think we rarely, because it's usually an unconscious process when we think about that we've created those archetypes and we've done it by having things that are in common or synchronous across individuals that create that collective story or archetype. And so, go ahead.
1: Oh, no, I was just just gonna say that I think that's amazing because um, uh, we are in control of that then.
0: Yeah much more than i think we're aware of i think it's always been an unconscious process which is why the archetypes are so useful to work with in terms of doing readings for people or things is because um they really tap into that unconscious place where we've uh, participated or contributed to that collective story And so it's interesting to me that as our culture evolves and as our species evolves, so do the archetypes, except that I don't really see it as the archetypes are leading the way. It's more that we are making changes and then altering the archetype.
1: Yeah, that that makes total sense.
0: Yeah. It's interesting to me that the archetype has held within it the integration of masculine feminine and our culture is now really focused on non-binary issues. And that includes both like gender identity, but it also includes orientation. And so you get a much more complex uh, sexuality uh, when you step out of that duality.
1: Yeah, I, it's, um, it's interesting because it seems like just listening to you um, speak through this, that it's been of course the, the lover's card normally has a two two people on it, but it's it seems like it's moving from um, the concept of two individuals integrating into one into self-integrating self integrating <laughs> self and more of a fulfillment within instead of a fulfillment through partnership.
0: Yeah, and I also think the thing that I think is evolving is that the way that this card has been traditionally read is that it really is that old kind of Christian idea of marriage of the two integrate and become one. Like I'm thinking of unity candles I've seen in a lot of weddings. But what I'm starting to see the integration start to look like is it's not that two things are actually integrating into one. It's that two things are integrating into many. So, like with a a non-binary, as soon as you start to step out of the box of the binary, you don't get a singularity, you get a continuum.
1: Yeah, yes.
0: And so the, the duality integrating isn't actually leading to a singularity, but I think it's leading to a much more complex continuum, systemic way of looking at things that actually is going to propel us into uh what i think we're starting to dream collectively which is that diversity is a strength and how do we make that shift from diversity being a challenge or a threat to diversity actually being a strength
1: i mean you and i have talked about diversity and kind of i talk about the runes as a being on a spectrum so they're neither good nor bad, dark nor light, they're both, and they're all. And um, so I think for me, starting on that path and having to work with the runes has been very interesting because little by little, we start changing those neural pathways and those um, ways of believing because I've started looking at things as being on a, a spectrum or a continuum, instead of being, you know, either or, and that's really been uh, over the past few weeks of even just us talking uh, on the podcast and beyond. That's really been one of the biggest things that's happening for me is that all of these little binary things keep getting brought up and then I have to look at them. And um, well, I choose to look at them. and put them on take them off of their black and white spectrum or put black and white boxes and put them on a spectrum somewhere and let them live and it's it's interesting because you for me I've had to process more information in terms of running it through my knowings that we've talked about yeah and and really what do I really think and feel about that and allowing for the stability my stability to come from being in that space instead of a rigid dogmatic false concrete foundation does
0: that make sense yeah yeah i think well i think you're talking about um that as you uh, first of all the idea of taking duality and finding some kind of integration um has, there's a psychological term that goes along with that. Jung uh, talked about what he said was the transcendent function. And for him, it was the intrapsychic, the internal process of taking light and shadow aspects and how do they relate to one another. And that you can move out of a dualistic uh, perspective by integrating them, which is what he called the transcendent function. Now, what's interesting to me is I haven't seen a lot where I've heard, and what's the clear path? How do you actually reach that transcendent function and integrate those things? Um, And I think that, you know, he also, he was very magical in a lot of ways. And so for him, it was all about embracing the shadow, that that really is the only way to integrate and that there are, That the unconscious will give you little clues about how to do that and he called that synchronicity so that's you know all the times that there's coincidence how does that coincidence help you become aware of something that you're trying to integrate so like um it was to me it's a synchronicity that at the end of our last episode i'm talking about the lovers card and seeing that uh, as the image of the last thing we're talking about And then the next week I'm pulling the lover's card and um, you know, you're getting messages from people about things that you said. It means people are starting to uh, be attracted to and find resonance with the things that we're saying. And it's that resonance. It's that connection that I think helps you transcend. Except yeah. that it's not an ascension. It's not a moving upward or an integrating in a way that things become singular. It's actually opening up greater and greater complexity.
1: You know me in words because I'm stuck on.
0: <laughs> well, you, uh, you hold complexity really well, I think. Um, uh, you know I think it's it's what allows you to you have such a good intuitive response to things when something will alert you to something you want to focus on and you're so good at listening to yourself about that um which is it, which is what I think is part of that synchronicity uh, is that hmm now I'm at a loss
1: for words. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that never happens. Oh my gosh, that never happens. Well, because you're on it. Like this, I ad- I admire how your brain works. I admire how <laughs> it, it thinks and how it can function and how it, it just puts things right in order. Because, you know, like everyone listening, I will give you this right now. I spend a lot of time taking out my ums and ahs <laughs> and just dead space and my trying to make me make sense and teresa's just just makes sense here you go and i yeah but yes that's you know <laughs> i Would admire you say, for that.
0: i think well i think it just works differently for us i can remember when uh you know i was in grad school and studying to be a therapist and um i had a supervisor and she was watching me through one way mirror do a session with someone and at the end of it i went back behind the one-way mirror to get my supervision and at one point she says why did you ask this one question it took you completely off course to where you were going and i thought about it and i said you know i really don't know it was just it it was an intuitive impulse is what it was and she described it as being very sensitive And I remember being crushed by that statement um, (laughs) because I'd been socialized that I was too sensitive and that it was a bad thing. And she could see that it had that effect on me and she said, no, it was actually a really good thing. And if you want to grow uh, as a therapist, what you want to start challenging yourself to do is to understand your intuition and when your sensitivity is leading you in a completely different course, but it's the one that is helpful. Yeah. And and so, you know, I've spent, uh, you know, every day after that pretty much with that challenge, like it, it stays with me. This was probably back in 1990s. So we're talking about, what, 20, 40 years ago? Thirty years ago,
1: <clears throat> and it
0: still stays with me uh, because I felt it felt to me uh, very profound when she made that challenge, and it's been the challenge for me ever since. Is how do I take those internal knowings and create language around them so I can express them? But that too, I think, is the lovers card. It's a way of integrating because it's those are two different ways of knowing your head space and your heart space and your gut space. Those are all different ways of knowing. And the challenge was really how do you integrate all of your ways of knowing so that you can share what you know with others?
1: Yeah, and, and uh, consciously, not you know, because sometimes I will say stuff and and it, it's not conscious but i would li- i would like to be able to more uh, uh accurate or more um i would just like to be able to more consciously bring those things up and and um god maybe i'm being controlling hold on hold on
0: well i <laughs> i'll say this to you i think it is a little controlling um yeah. in that uh, you're relying on the wrong part of yourself to try to do that. So for me, what started happening over time is this is how I channel. And so, you know, the challenge that that supervisor gave me brought mindfulness to that there was a process and a way of integrating. But when I'm channeling, I'm actually not in the same state of consciousness. Yes. So it's like I have to give over my conscious self. I have to trust that that integrated way of knowing will provide the right words. So I'm not, I'm not actually for the most part, I'm not actually choosing every word that I'm using. I'm stepping into a flow. Yeah. And you do have that. I've heard you do it, but it, but it only happens when you are really trusting.
1: That's interesting. Cause I, I was thinking about um, yesterday. I went to a, Huh. Uh, it's called a light worker's um, <laughs> session, where you know everybody who is a light worker would give readings or energy healing, whatever, to everybody else there. Because we, as readers and healers, rarely—well, not a lot of people—rarely take time for themselves to go get a reading for themselves or go get energy work for themselves or or whatnot. So it was kind of a a time to support community and support those people in the community. And um, I haven't, I'll tell you, I haven't done a reading in a really long time. Um, And you mean
0: received one.
1: uh, I well, see. So what, what we ended up doing was there was only four of us that showed up and we were all readers. Not, no one was an energy healer um, except me a little bit, but, So what we decided to do was we sat around a table, and one person would ask a question, and we all would use our divination tools to come up with our response to that question. And it was really interesting because I uh, hadn't—I was a little concerned. Well, not—I'm never concerned, but it's—it's moving into a space. Well, yeah, I always get a little worried that I'm like, "Fuck, please, please let me connect. Please let me connect. Please let me connect." connect." and um because it is a little scary when you know you're kind of put on the the spot and this is you just want to make sure it works and uh so i connected and i was so I was, when you were talking i was thinking about that and i was thinking about the readings that i gave yesterday um and uh it's absolutely true because there are moments in when i'm giving a reading that i'm connected and I don't remember after I couldn't tell you what I said. And there are yeah. sometimes little things that get triggered in my memory. Like um, huh. I was talking to someone yesterday who I'd kind of given a mini reading to like a month and a half ago. And she said something and I was like, it triggered a memory that I had about our reading. And I was like, Oh, interesting. So that kind of came That was a thread that actually continued into her existence. And it was really interesting. And being connected in that way um, is really interesting to me um, because when I'm trying to do this and trying to speak this way, it's a little bit different of a channel, I guess. Um,
0: Well, we've been really focused on speaking about our own experience. Yes, and I don't know about for you, um, but I can always be more clear when I'm doing a reading for someone else.
1: Absolutely, um,
0: There is a part of me that kind of steps out of the way. And so I'm not actually trying to tap into my own self and give words to my own experience. I'm tapping into the energy field and then just kind of telling you the story of what I see. Right. And in a lot of ways, I think that that's a lot easier. Uh, When I have to tap into my own stuff, I it's like my consciousness is split into two different states of being. There's the state of being where I'm actually feeling my feelings and thinking my thoughts. And there's the state of being where I'm stepping out of that to be able to look at it from a different perspective.
1: I want to go back to something you said uh, A a couple minutes ago So I was telling the story And you said that I hadn't uh, I hadn't received a reading And I'll ask um, I'll ask you know Moon a question She's our intuitive tarot reader here at Blue Antler And um, I will ask questions like that But I I know she's sick of Me asking about my love life I know she is (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, she's sick of me asking about this certain person that um, I was uh, interested in, and so she took a two-week vacation to New York. So I'm, I'm completely uh, <laughs> on, on my own this week. But um, the the thing that was funny to me, or the the thing that struck me when uh, you said that, was that most of my reading, be- okay, because she wasn't here, I asked them <laughs> yesterday. Hey, my question to you in this light worker reading, uh, meeting, um, which I guess I'm getting to, let me pause. I guess I'm getting just to realize that, um, it is a word. (laughs) Lightworker or light is, it's just a word. And it's just a word that some, a lot of people use to describe working with spirit or being connected. And I just, I need to, you know, that's, was part of that working out of the redefining of that word or getting rid of that word that we kind of talked about last week. So, um, so the one thing that I thought you said was interesting is, you know, that I receive when you said receive a reading. So let me jump back on my track. I asked them, what do I need to do to prepare myself for um, or to be, to be, better not better to be more uh able to be in a in a romantic relationship and everything was about receiving so um oh interesting yeah it was uh super interesting because um this with ingvaz and with the lovers card there has to be a a willingness to receive not just integrate but receive yes and i thought that that was super when they started giving me the reading and i was like yes i'm super not great at that yes i'm (laughs) i'm i know thank you uh you know i'm making i'm making mental notes because let's let's be honest i knew the answer the minute i asked the question and all because the thread was there because that vibration on the web was there every single one of them picked up on it. And yeah, uh, it took me a minute. Like I actually had to uh, allow myself to be opened up to them so that they could read me. Yes. Uh, Cause it, I don't, oh, I don't allow that uh, very often. So when, uh, when I'm looking through like my notes about, um, about Ingba's and not, not just that, but looking at the past week Um, there's something about like allowing, like sacrificing myself for growth and renewal, but I have to be willing to accept and receive the growth and renewal that's offered through the integration. And if I'm not ready to receive the light, or if I'm not ready to receive nurturing, or if I'm not ready to receive love, or if I'm not ready to receive a partner, and I'm just the one who gives, gives, gives uh, no wonder those are the people that I attract. So yeah, um, it was interesting that um, the word integration for me shifted into a thought of not pulling something from the outside in necessarily, but um, allowing myself to receive myself and those parts of myself that are already there. And so it, the, the word from last week integration shifted a little bit into receiving, which I thought um was cool. But I also saw that when you said that you drew the lover's card, it's about, you know, receiving. And I was like, Oh my God, everything. Like if you're listening people and you are not getting this, if you are not (laughs) getting that it's a vibration on the web that continues and that there are these threads through our life, these synchronicities, then um, I would invite you to start over at episode one and (laughs) re-listen because they're, they're there. And, um, I, I would venture to guess, I'm not venture to guess, I know that that happens in all of our lives.
0: Yeah, well, you know, as you're talking, I, I just keep seeing that energetic dynamic uh, that you're discussing, because I think that we have had in our human reactions where the energy is someone is giving and someone is receiving. And we have these very business like exchanges that we have, even on the energetic, relational, personal uh, plane. And so, you know, if you have been brought up, as we've talked, both of us with our Christian backgrounds, we need to be brought up, we've been brought up to think that the ideal is to be selfless and to always be the one giving. And so, you know, whatever socialization you have about that, then giving isn't actually the problem. It's learning how to receive. And there can be, especially when you're talking about distorted power dynamics, receiving often is about accepting the mantle of someone else and feeling controlled. Mm-hmm. And so, energetically, when you're talking, the different kind of integration I'm seeing is more about partnership and more about reciprocity so that, you know, um, for you, if you need to work on receiving, then the energetic flow cannot move in fluidity unless you do, unless you open that channel. Uh, Because if you don't, then you're you're blocking that part of the energy and it can only ever be a flow in one direction from you to the other person. But in order to open and be receptive, you have to be willing to receive uh, things that might challenge you or influence you in a way that, um, you know, I think that um, for me anyway, a lot of my fears about receiving are I am so sensitive to energy. I can be easily influenced by someone's energy and get caught up in it. Mm -hmm. Uh, So much so that I have kind of created a rule for myself that when I'm with someone who's talking about a project and they're asking me to participate and they're really excited about it, I always tell them, give me some time to think about it, I'll get back to you in three days. And I have to do that because otherwise empathically, I'm feeling their excitement and I'm saying yes. And then sometimes three days later, I'm like, you know, I'm not really that into that project or I don't really have time for that or whatever it is. I can sometimes say yes to something because I'm, I'm feeling the influence of someone's excitement and that's influencing my decision more than my own inner voice.
1: I completely agree with you because I, I, I'm the same way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, so there is a part of me that, um, my knee jerk reaction now is to kind of, okay, I'm going to make note of that and I'm going to sit with it. Uh, but the thing is, is there's that balance there for me of how do I be open and receptive without being overly influenced and losing my own voice. Um, and so to be receptive in loving relationships, you have to be willing to be influenced by the other person. Um, but not controlled. Yes. And sometimes the other person is attempting to manipulate or control you, whether consciously or not. And sometimes it's us. When we open up, we just, we become too malleable. Yeah. And so there's that point of how do you allow energy into you and filter it in a way that you are keeping the connection about what is healthy and good for you and responding in kind but those things that um maybe would create distortion in the connection you're finding a way to filter those out i actually intentionally the way that i work is i'm not really that focused on gaining conscious clarity um to me um That that isn't as useful as becoming aware of the unconscious content, which to me is different than making it conscious. Mm -hmm. I'm not actually making it conscious. I want it to speak to me in its unconscious language. Um, And so what I will do is I will bring this issue in this interaction in. And I actually move it energetically deep down into an unconscious state. And I ask my unconscious to work on it and that when I'm ready and I have a good feel for how it feels to me, then I want it just to come back into my awareness so that my consciousness can take a look at it and then make a decision about whether or not I do the thing. Oh, that's great so so for me i want the unconscious to kind of stay unconscious it's the only place that i know where it can manage the enormous amount of information that can come in a relational interaction
1: oh my god that's brilliant
0: because it's not linear and it doesn't need um time doesn't matter so great complexities my unconscious can receive great complexities without having to figure it out first. Yeah. And then what I ask is that whatever I then receive, when that information is useful, either in service to someone else, in service to myself in my creative work, whatever it is, that that unconscious piece that holds the information that's useful will communicate it in a way that I can't miss it. And for me, that brings us kind of back to the lover's card. Uh, oftentimes it's through synchronicities, mm-hmm. so a synchronicity will happen, and I'll go, "Oh, okay, that it, it'll teach me something." That I'll have that nugget of information, and now all of a sudden, it's very magical. It's like that nugget of information starts to show up in different ways I can apply it in my life. Just like you're talking about last week, we were talking about light workers, and all of a sudden. <laughs> you're invited to this group of light workers that you know a week earlier you may have said no thanks to
1: yeah oh absolutely it's uh it was really interesting um, for those of you who are listening I I actually had received this invitation on Facebook a long time ago and didn't even had no idea that it was there until all of a sudden it showed up in my events after we recorded we recorded the last uh episode uh which was about light workers and, and <laughs> part of it and so I thought I thought okay this is like the the most fucking perfect opportunity for me to really look at this stuff and so yeah, yeah. all these synchronicities like that shows up um just one of many things that happened but it's absolutely I, you know, I said this for a while, um, but every time I ask for something, it shows up. Yeah. (laughs) I just have to always remember to be super clear about what it is I'm asking for.
0: Or whatever shows you up will help you clarify.
1: That's true. Yeah. Because what did I say to somebody uh, earlier? I was talking to somebody and I said, um, knowing, (laughs) sometimes knowing what you don't want is more important than knowing what you want. Yeah. And I thought that was, and it just kind of came out of my mouth. And I was like, oh, do I really think that? And I'm like, actually, yeah, because th- if the more you try things and you know what you don't want, it narrows down what you do.
0: I actually think no's are just as important as yeses. You know this, and probably most of our listeners do. I do improv. Uh, It's part of my creative expression and I absolutely love it. And, you know, the kind of stereotype about improv is it's all about yes and. And so I find that um, I had a project that I wanted to pitch to uh, some people in the improv community. And I noticed that they kind of stalled on giving me an answer. They kind of dodged around it a little bit. And I was thinking, oh, how interesting we are living in a community that's so founded on yes and that I really think they're struggling giving me a no. (laughs) And that because they were struggling giving me a no, it was actually hanging my project up because I was waiting to hear their answer so that I knew kind of where to place the project. And I kind of got to the point where I was like, damn, I wish they would just give me a no so energetically it could be unhooked and I could replace it. I could find the place where it's supposed to be. Yeah. Um, and so I do think, I think no's aren't as fun to hear. Um, but I think that if we can kind of move past that and actually hear the truth of someone's answer, it actually facilitates us, um, finding the synchronicities to me, the lover's card is all about, um, Finding the ease of a connection, finding um, the place things are supposed to be, because there's a mutuality. You know, my grandmother used to say all the time, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. And she was very full of, like to me, her, her tarot card would be the chariot. She was very full of willpower and very determined. And she would focus on something and create it. And she taught me that. Um, and so she taught me to have a very strong will in terms of, um, being able to push past obstacles, Mm -hmm. but what I find is that doesn't always serve me. Sometimes I will be pushing past an obstacle that if I honored the obstacle, I would have a much easier time creating what I want to create and the outcome would be better,
1: yes that um you know don't quit winners don't quit right we that's right one of those things that's a, in our modern um vocabulary that just comes out of our mouth there was a card it's interesting I can't remember which card it was but uh, it says it said to me sometimes the thing is put in your way just so you'll learn to go around it yeah and I thought oh I don't have to conquer everything
0: yeah, I think obstacles are very magical things that we tend to um, we tend to engage in them as if there's something that we have to learn to uh, dismantle. Yeah. And um, and there was a time when uh, Ganesh kept coming up for me. So Ganesh is a Hindu god and uh, he takes the form of an elephant. And among other things, he is considered the remover of obstacles. And so, you know, I was having a particularly difficult time. Ganesh kept coming up. So I was connecting with Ganesh and asking, help me to see how to remove these obstacles. And what he actually taught me was not at all what I expected. He basically said, I'm not just the remover of the obstacles. I'm also the one who places them. And that you need to learn that an obstacle has a function that sometimes the obstacle is meant for you to develop strength because you're fighting through it or you're climbing over it or you're finding your way around it. Sometimes an obstacle is saying, no, this isn't the path that's gonna take you where you wanna go, full stop, turn around. And sometimes um, an obstacle will warn me when I've had a precognitive knowing that it's not actually time to act on it but it's so potent that I I try to find a way to enact what I've envisioned. And the obstacle will kind of stop me because I'm out of time. I'm out of sync with the timing. Yes. So I think that no's actually, uh, we experience them as things that are preventing us from getting what we want or what we're intending, but I actually think that they're part of it. I agree. Yeah. But you can only, I think you can only get to that place if to me, that's part of the lover's card. Again, it's integrating. It's can I integrate what a no really means as I'm traveling my path? Can I honor the no in a way that I, I am trusting that even that no is the answer that I seek.
1: It's been an interesting week. I think uh, with these two cards, I will say that when I drew Ingva's, I was just a little bit at a loss. And I never really know until it comes Monday at one o'clock, Mountain Standard Time, <laughs> when I regroup with you and we discuss these things. Uh, what I never know what's going to happen. Um, and. The vibrations through the web are super interesting and we talk a lot about them and talk a lot about kind of the deeper maybe influences or or the deeper vibration or resonance within the energy field. But I will say though, when I pull Ingva's for people, it can mean like sexuality and these things that are really in your body type of uh, experiences, not that we haven't been talking about that. But um, I, uh, this might be TMI. So if, if it's TMI for some of you, you need to fast forward about 15 <laughs> seconds. But when I pulled ingvaz this week, I, um, I, well, I ended up uh, having an experience <laughs> with uh, with someone who I, it was completely unplanned, just kind of out of the blue and um it was uh of of course i guess i'm talking about a sexual experience but and you know it's been a few years and so i was really after it happened because it happened quite very very unexpectedly i was like oh Ingvaz, you showed up in many ways this week (laughs) thank you and um and it happened um which was interesting because it's a, it's a little bit of a, an initiation to of like get back on the fucking horse. Like you've got to like get out there and just um, start allowing people to uh, start allowing yourself to receive from people and to, to receive um, nurturing and receive love and receive attention. And, and part of that, yeah, is, is some of this, uh, uh, sexual relationships and intimacy. And so a lot of this really was, this was a very good week for, um, kind of a more even holistic, uh, look at receiving and opening myself up to, um, the, the fecundity and the sexuality and the, the creativity and the, the power of, um, growth and renewal and receiving and so uh i absolutely think it when you told me it was the lover's card i just i was like what the fuck ever like it's (laughs) there's it could not have been i probably say this every episode so if you guys i'm sorry it could not have been more appropriate for us to have those those two uh divination tools show up uh very similarly let me ask you this question is if we both got tools that have similar energies to Beltane do you think that sometimes um, we sit on the wheel of the year the sabbats for uh, pagans we sit on them on the wheel of the year uh, in, in still a very well it has to be this day because it says it on the calendar instead of allowing ourselves yeah. to be in touch with the, those uh, the movements of the earth and the climate and cycle?
0: Well, you know, uh, when I first started walking the Wheel of the Year, I think uh, it called me. And um, my first when I actually invited a group of women over. I thought what I was going to do was walk with a group of women because that's kind of traditionally how it's been practiced. Um, however, it became very clear to me very quickly that uh i needed to walk it alone and one of the things that um after a couple revolutions so after a couple of years what i started to notice is that um when i first approached the wheel of the year i would approach it by okay this is the date of beltane this is um the energy that is inherent in that and you know it lasts for maybe three days before and three days after Uh, But the longer that I walk the wheel, what I notice is that energy is always present during its season. So, you know, there was a point where we've had solstice. So I would have been, I would have related to it as, well, Beltane's over and it's now this solstice energy until we move to uh, uh, Lamas or Lunasa uh, on August 1st. And then I realized, but the season of summer lasts until Lunasa. That means that energy of Beltane, because that's the seasonal shift, and that fire is present all the way through, and Solstice is just the peak of that. Yeah. And so for me, Beltane actually is an energetic that lasts the entire summer season. Yeah. Yeah. So it's initiated on Beltane, um, but I don't actually feel it. I feel it kind of like, it, you know, the rising and the setting of the sun. So if that's the whole season of summer, then Beltane is when the sun is rising. The summer solstice is noon, and we're now moving towards the descent. Um but if you notice i think we talked about this last time the end of summer is when the sun is hottest and it's actually in its descent yeah the same is true the hottest time of the day is actually past noon so it's when the sun starts to move towards its descent and so to me i see the whole season like i do uh watching the sun move through the sky during a day is that the sun has its influence for the entire day, and Beltane has its influence throughout the entire season of summer?
1: Yeah, I think that's brilliant. I've never really heard it put that way. Um, yeah, thank you, because I was I was kind of just thinking about that a little bit, and I've also I also saw somewhere recently that someone put like um, a date for llamas as almost about a three week period. That you yeah. Could, and i was like oh and i started thinking well of course i need to stop looking at the damn calendar and just look outside um <laughs> but it was in thank you cuz i i hadn't i'd had been thinking that in my head especially this spring and summer because our weather here has been very n- not normal <laughs> for uh for utah
0: yeah you know the more i practiced uh a solitary walk the more that um i was connecting just with the energetic of the context and um there there have definitely been years where i actually feel belting came early um and so by may 1st i was like well we're already in it and then there have been other years where i'm like "Eh, well it didn't really show up until the fifth um So I do think, and I think that probably traditionally, uh, you know, this tradition predates our calendar. So the whole, um, the whole use of the wheel of the year was it was marked through the movements of the sun and the moon and the stars and the seasons and how the earth changed And so it wasn't dependent on a date on a calendar. It was dependent on what changed in the world environment. Yeah. And so I think we missed something there a little bit. That has not been a place that I've gone in the wheel yet. Um, But it's been like pulling at the back of my brain that at some point I'm going to want to look at what are the phases of the moon uh, to really pick when the Sabbaths are happening.
1: Oh yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Nice. Well, uh, sorry, kids, I got you sidetracked, but apparently one of you needed to know that because I'm, I'm going (laughs) to, I'm going to go ahead and say I picked up on that little thread because it needed to be picked up on. Yeah. Um, so do you, uh, it's been a great week. Do you have any final parting words?
0: I would actually, uh, offer, suggest to people who are listening, if uh, you have a lover's card, uh, pull it out of your deck, put it up on your, you know, dresser mirror or something. Uh, let the archetype live with you for a week. See what kind of synchronicities or what kinds of bonds you start to recognize in your life. It's a very powerful card for being aware of the web of resonance that we all live on and what our connections are. Um, so allow the card to work in its unconscious magical way. And, uh, if you choose to do so, we would love to hear from you and hear what some of your experiences are.
1: I love interacting with you guys. So please, you can private message me on Facebook. You can email us at, um, web of resonance pod pod at gmail.com.
0: Yeah, if you go on our Facebook page, we'll also be uh, posting both pictures and uh, little descriptions of both the card and the room that we pulled. Um, And we'd love uh, any comments or if you would like any more information about either of those that um, if something's coming up for you, we we would be happy to do that. In fact, it would be a joy for us.
1: Absolutely. Cool. I hope you all have a great week and uh, thanks for tuning in.
0: Thanks very much. Have a great week.